0: Welcome to the discussion, Modern Government, Supply Chain Risk and Security, sponsored by KPMG. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller.
1: Welcome to the show. My guest today is Joyce Corral, the Assistant Director for Supply Chain and Cyber Directorate at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Joyce, always a pleasure. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us.
0: Good afternoon. It's good to be
1: here. Let me just set a little context for our discussion. The old adage trust but verify is taking on new meaning with the ever increasing focus on supply chain risk management. From the cybersecurity maturity model certification or CMMC program to section 889 and the banning of certain Chinese made telecommunication products, agencies and vendors alike must do more than just say they're doing enough to protect their supply chains. This means organizations must rely on data to prove the trustworthiness of the supply chain and the data also must provide insights into everything from foreign ownership to insider threats to chain of custody. The challenge of depending on data is how to deal with the volume of information and deciding what is most valuable. This is why agencies and companies are applying analytical tools and machine learning algorithms to identify potential risks. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence is helping agencies overcome these challenges of supply chain risk management. And my guest, Joyce Carell, the Assistant Director for Supply Chain and Cyber Director at the National Counterintelligence Security Center at ODNI will tell us how. Now, Joyce, I set us up. I talked to all the hot topics. I hit every buzzword that there is, CMMC, (laughs) 889. I could keep going. But let's just discuss the state of supply chain security from ODNI's perspective. Progress made so far. Challenges still ahead. Let's
0: let's get into our GAO uh, report, like status. <laughs> okay. Um, so, soina, you know, thank you, thank you for the um, in- introduction. Uh, one thing I want to point out is, is um, from a progress perspective, the last three years have really been um, a change from a government perspective. Um, you touched on just a couple of things that are related to federal government procurement, um, but when I when I think about supply chain issues, I, I think much more broadly. Um, about how we source both goods and services, like telecoms, energy, financial services. And I would say, like going back to 2017, you know, those were the first, you know, big muscle movements from a government perspective. And, and one point I, I want to make as well is that all branches of government are actually involved in shaping our, our policies and our, the tools that we have to manage risk. You know, the executive branch is issuing executive orders, Congress is drafting legislation, and we've got the courts um, that are um, uh, uh, hearing you know, cases and rendering opinions that shape you know, how the government can move forward or how the nation can move forward um, from a risk management perspective. So just to you know, go back to 2017, um, the uh, White House issued the executive order 13806, which is um, assessing and strengthening the manufacturing and in- defense industrial base and supply chain resilience. So that was the first baseline of our industrial base from a very broad supply chain resilience perspective, which was an important move. Um, That was also the same year, a few months later, when DHS issued their binding operational directive on Kaspersky Labs. So 2017 was kind of the point of departure And we've seen a number of things um, come out, you know, since then, a variety of actions in 2018, you already mentioned NDAA 889, uh, the broad prohibition on uh, federal spending for five Chinese companies. Um, That same piece of legislation also gave us the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, as well as the Export Control Reform Act. So a lot of thought, bipartisan support for those types of actions in 2018. 2019, uh, the executive branch takes a long, hard look at telecommunications security. The White House issues the um, uh, the executive order for um, securing the information communications technology and services supply chain, more um, uh, in a more abbreviated fashion, known as the telecoms supply chain executive order. Um, uh, and so that was, you know, the beginning of looking at um, our. Um, our air infrastructure and how, how we can you know, manage risk with our infrastructure. Same year, um, the president signed the Secure Technology Act, which gave us the Federal Acquisition Supply Chain, uh, Supply Chain Security Act, which established the Federal Acquisition uh, Security Council. And now 2020, um, we have COVID, you know, um, you know, opening people's eyes to a, a, whole, a whole slew of other supply chain related issues. So I, I could go on for a long time on these issues, but I'd like to give you a chance to ask a few more questions. I got plenty to ask you, because this, <laughs> this is a topic, I'm
1: funny that you go back to 2017. I wanna feel like I've been writing stories about this since 2015, kind of warning <laughs> agencies, hey, this is coming, this is gonna be a big deal. And, and I think they're just kind of coming around to that, that this is a big deal. So that goes around, why do you think it's kind of come up? Is it, is it <laughs> these actions like the EOs and the legislation, and the court decisions, <laughs> Or did something else happen that was more of a wake-up call in the last two, three, four
0: years? Uh, so, um, so your first question you actually asked, you know, what are some challenges? So, what comes to mind with the question you just now asked is, um, is education? You know, I really think one of the challenges, one of the impediments to raising awareness is um, educating people from all walks of life um, in, in, supply, in in the um, risk management arena you know if for, for government um, you know we have to I, I work um, in a counterintelligence and security organization but we have to bring together um, people from acquisition you know people from our general counsel uh, um, uh, disciplines that that look not just at you know federal uh, acquisition regulations they need to understand uh, um, you know trade secrets act so so we rely on our attorneys to, to bring together a team, a, a team of expertise. So I, I see the same thing in the private sector. Um, having to bring together people from different disciplines who oftentimes speak with very different vocabularies in a shorthand unique to their discipline is, is one of the things that, that makes this um, uh, you know, a challenge to address people's learning curves. So I think that's one of the things, uh, but, you know, back to 2015, certainly I was there, I was there with you in spirit as you were writing about this, but, you know, back, you know, um, when the, um, a few administrations ago, when the um, Comprehensive Cyber National Security Initiative was launched, supply chain was a key pillar there, Um, but, but back then it was pretty, pretty much of an esoteric topic. Um, there are other things, you know, um hardening your perimeter, perimeter was uh, a higher priority for, for many people. So and, and that was that was a decade ago. Um, but I think now it, it it's it, it's a topic that has transitioned from esoteric to exoteric. You know, it's more accessible to the public. COVID has made this has has made supply chain a dinner table conversation topic. You know, so so it's a combination of um uh um uh organizations um, learning more about third party risk and operational risk and realizing the consequences of of not attending to that risk, they could be devastating. So I think that's been sort of a a change.
1: I love the fact it's a dinner table conversation now. I, I know my family would, would, would shun me if I brought it up too okay. often, uh, but you bring up COVID a couple of times, and, and let's talk a little bit about that. How has the pandemic it, it impacted the supply chain and the
0: approaches to securing the supply chain? Well, so there are two two things that, that come to mind. Um, this has you know been covered you know quite exhaustively in the media. Um, the fact that um, with um, uh, government, you know, shutting down the flow of people and and, and goods and and uh, just shutting down businesses, uh, there, there were shortages of supplies. And the average person began wondering, well, you know, here's this, you know, here's this disease, you know, can I get tested? Where can I get supplies for testing? You know, when is the vaccine going to be available? Where can I buy paper towels? Um, so just, you know, things that people took for granted. And in the U.S., we we are live in a very luxurious environment from, you know, availability to go to grocery stores and have so much uh, accessible to us. But once people saw that that those things, that there were shortages because um, manufacturers couldn't ship um, and, or shippers couldn't um, get things to a destination, that was sort of um, a broad awakening in the U.S. as well as, as globally. So Um, That is is um, uh, uh, the what has uh, struck people, you know, at at home uh, with their families and in their pocketbook. The other side to that has been um, all of the teleworking, where um, school is now long distance distance learning, but people are working from home. Um, And this um, uh, the concern from a working from home perspective is that we're, we're relying on people's home networks to be secure when they connect to our corporate or government networks. So that's that. Um, just the, the inherent vulnerabilities of that kind of environment uh, contributes, exacerbates, exacerbates um, uh, all elements of, of risk, I think.
1: It, it's one of the things that has shown up many times is this urgency during the pandemic for agencies to support more remote workers, to kind of get more VPN licenses and VDI and things of that nature. At the same time, there's a, there's a broader risk surface that comes with that. Right. Is that true with the supply chain too, meaning as agencies ramped up to support people, whether again, remote working or, or digital services for citizens, did that also have a kind of effect on the supply chain, that
0: urgency as well? So from from a um, I'm going to answer that from my my perspective from a counterintelligence perspective you know, so that expands the attack surface so someone at home um, where um, you have your own network um, maybe you have kids or relatives who are all on your your local network while you're doing work. Um, and you bring in third-party applications onto your your. Maybe you have a VPN for your office environment, um, and you bring in other types of applications to um, be uh, in the mix on your operating system. Um, many times, you know, government organizations or corporate entities that have policies of bring your own device to work. That um, those aren't you know freewheeling freewheeling policies that anything goes. You know, local CIOs will have um, you know a, a BYOD policy that says. If you want to connect your device, you have to do the following things. So, so I think with the pandemic, um, the, the, some of those restrictions are are a little fuzzy on the edges now. So I think you know that's that's kind of a the, dyna- the the dynamic we're currently in.
1: I've heard that many times from agencies, from CIOs who are trying to say, okay, now that our risk surface is, is more broad, then, then we also have to deal with these other pieces and parts like BYOD. Mm-hmm. Is, is from your perspective, is the threats and concerns around supply chain, how has that kind of evolved? And, and is there a bigger attention now to, for instance, foreign involvement in the supply chain? Is that something that mm-hmm. you all from a
0: counterintelligence perspective are paying a lot more attention to? So, so, so let me just, from a vocabulary perspective, uh, uh, lay out how I think of supply chain risk. Um, I view this from from a uh, counterintelligence perspective, not so much about counterfeits in our supply chain, but rather um, an adversary using a company as a threat vector. So that might be um, a company might be complicit or or not in being used as a as a a threat vector. Uh, So, so, so that's you know you know um, and. You know, what kind of untoward level of influence an adversary government may have is certainly a concern. But I wanna flip your question a little bit and uh, speak on a more positive side about government involvement. Um, we, um, we have been thinking about, um, as, a, as a government, as a nation, uh, those things that we don't want on our networks. So that's sort of a, sort of a negative perspective. You know, what do we wanna ban? What do we not uh, want to deal with? But if you say no to something, to what are you saying yes? So so, um, this is a healthy conversation to have. Um, And I I would point to um, the the international uh, discussions that led to the Prague proposals, um, uh, Prague principles, where several governments came together to talk about uh, managing risk in a 5G environment and the the need to look at technical factors and non-technical factors when making decisions about how you're gonna, uh, work with suppliers for your your telecommunications infrastructure. So a lot of a lot of good work there. Um, the EU um, in their um, their digital toolbox uh, that that, they, that has been developed to you know look at high risk vendors. Uh, we've had conversations like that. But now the, the conversation is shifting to um, how, what are positive attributes of business partners that we want to do business with? You know, how do we um, co- collectively, uh, globally, um, develop trusted markets? Um, how do we how do we think about, you know, manufacturing in one country, uh, packaging a device in another country, and, but doing this with a, a greater degree of trust? So the conversation is shifted from just the negative to now the positive, you know, how do we how do we stimulate the innovation ecosystem to to build things that we do want to procure in, a, in a, a more trustworthy manner. It's almost like you're setting me up, Joyce. I know
1: the next question, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to figure that they're going to try to answer that question because I have a feeling it's all about the data. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to Modernizing Government Supply Chain Risk and Security sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network.
0: Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, visit kpmg.com US federal.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Modernizing Government, Supply Chain Risk and Security, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Joyce Corell, the Assistant Director for Supply Chain and Cyber Director at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Now, Joyce, before break, we're talking a little bit about this idea of how the U.S. government is working with the EU and other nations. You talked about managing risk in the 5G environment, how to develop kind of the positive attributes of partners that you know, the nations want to deal with. And, and all of that comes back to understanding the data. As I said, you set me up wonderfully. So let's talk about data. How, how is ODNI? How is the intelligence community using data to really mitigate and look at, identify
0: current and future risks? So you, you bring up one of my one of my um, uh, soapbox topics, which is um, the use of really robust commercial due diligence. Um, There's so much information out there that's publicly available, not always for free, um, but um, publicly available information um, from organizations that are very adept at at um, Pulling information together for commercial due diligence, and and that is really sort of your point of departure. Um, and I'm I'm really um, uh, I'm really pleased that uh, at how uh, that this technology has changed in, in the last five years. You know, you you have the powerhouse, you know, big accounting firms like you know KPMG, um, you know, but also um, you know Deloitte, Price Waterhouse, uh, other companies like Thomson Reuters, um, Bloomberg. Um, uh, Capital IQ, all of these firms Interos, they are all now actually looking at you know how to apply machine learning and and uh, uh, tr- you know train their AI systems to um, get at a more exquisite understanding of the data that they have access to. So that's really going to be the wave of the future. You know, being able to tune those systems to um, get answers to the questions that we want, and these answers are really uh, pointers. You know, you know these these aren't. Using this type of data, you know, does not um, uh, uh, mean that you get to kick back and have the system make a decision for you. Um, you know, these, these tools uh, applied to uh, data, you know, commercially available data, maybe even we have systems in-house applied to government data, really point you in a direction to say either um, here is a gap where you don't have information, you know, do you care? Does that matter to you from a risk perspective? or hey, here's some data that shows that risk is trending up or risk is trending down. And those are the kind of tools that help inform your decision analysis. Um, so that, that, that is you know, this, where I think the, the government broadly should go. Um, I actually think, um, and I've discussed this with my colleagues um, in the interagency environment, that what the government really needs is some type of uh, commercial due diligence service as a shared service for government agencies. There'll, there'll be organizations, basically, so we can teach organizations to fish. You know, so there will be some agencies that are very under-resourced um, that are, are not going to be able to afford um, the, the data that would help them in their decision analysis. So these, these are, these are um, very germane topics that we're talking about in the Federal Acquisition Security Council and the groups associated with that venue. So it's, a, it's an area of, of great focus. If I remember correctly,
1: I think several years ago, the
0: General Services Administration tried
1: to do something around commercial due diligence. And for whatever reason, it didn't quite take off. I think they had some pilots. From your perspective, how much does ODNI, and I I know it can get into some sensitivities or the IC more broadly, uh, rely on commercial data? Because you guys are also considered to have the best data too.
0: Uh, so, um, So it's great having data, but is it actionable data, right? You know, so you can have all the data in the world, um, but if it doesn't help you, you know, make make a decision, it's 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 really of no use. Um, so there's a so there there are are um you know where where can we derive information um, that's in the supply chain environment that helps you you know with that with that thinking. Um, you know, some people just assume that in the intelligence community that there's this vast trove of very precise information. Yeah, you know, so. So as, as, as we work and, and raise awareness with other organizations, um, you know, we, we, are, we are beginning to educate people more on uh, all the variety of sources of data, whether they're publicly available or they're you know, government sensitive data. Um, and, and government data is, is not, um, government data of value um, is not always something from the intelligence community. Um, you know, valuable information can very well come from um, uh, you know, um, the um, contracting community. That you know work in day day in day out with with uh, the, the private sector, um, so the in- insights that t- that um, might help you realize oh risk is being managed may come from there or or uh, red flags may surface from from that community. So a variety of types of data are, are relevant in this space. and you know, and, and, uh, you know um, one of the one of the topics I do want to get into is, is a little bit on information sharing, um, but I, I don't know if you wanted to go further with the uh, uh, data question. I definitely want to touch
1: upon information sharing, but let me just take a half a step back because I think this relates to it. Is the best way to determine how data is trustworthy and what's the value of the data? Is there a way that you can talk through a little bit about how, whether it's the IC or agencies Mm -hmm. or contractors or whomever, can say that is more valuable data or that's a more valuable data source? Mm -hmm. And I know each situation is different, but is there some kind of, 50,000 foot
0: view view you can get? Oh, so I, I think you can actually answer this question. Um, so my father was a, a, a press attaché. So I, I knew that he would seek information and find not not just one source to back that fact up, but two, three, and four sources. You know, so that's the type of rigor that needs to go behind, you know, verifying that your data, you know, has has gone through some rigorous review. Um, you know, self-reporting is, is uh, um, a, a type of information that, um, you know, you can say, well, hey, if self, self, you, know, you can. um, uh, be dismissive and say, well, self-reporting, you know, uh, they can make up whatever they want. Well, maybe there is a place for self-reporting for, you know, low-risk, you know, low-risk items, you know, if, if someone can describe for you the steps they've taken to manage and protect their risk, that might be good enough in certain areas. Um, but from from a, a federal systems perspective, and for high impact systems, you know we do need to be rigorous in, in our data. And I, and I will tell you another point why we need to not just you know uh, find facts and double check facts and triple check check them is that it, w- it would be um, a terrible situation where one agency to have done you know lightweight research research and and say that hey you know Acme Inc is a fabulous company and another organization take a different approach of research and say no, you know, whoa, red flags. So one of the things that that we're doing under the Federal Acquisition Security Council is um, standardizing how that research is done so that there is rigor and integrity behind it. Um, And then uh, not just in the FASC, we're also looking at all the other regulatory regimes that have a supply chain nexus to ensure that we're harmonizing harmonizing, um, the... um, Uh, the factors that we look at, as well as the criteria we use to evaluate what factors in what combination uh, make us think the risk is high, medium, or low. I know the FASC had
1: just issued its strategic plan. I know that's one of those uh, uh big short-term goals is get to those standards. And I think that's a good thing because that also leads into that information sharing piece that you wanted to bring up. So let's go down that path for a second. Once you can get those standardization, once you can understand, okay, what is fact? And and I appreciate the fact that, uh, as you said, multiple sources as a journalist, that's what we go for. Not just one person telling us something's true, but multiple people. That will then create information sharing, make it go faster. Where's the IC with information sharing? How are you promoting it and taking part in it?
0: So um in the um uh, uh 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, um, Congress directed the DNI to establish a task force. This was in Section 6306 um, of the NDAA. And that piece of legislation directed ODNI to stand up a task force. It outlined the membership of the task force. And the purpose of the task force is to standardize information sharing um, of of, uh, counterintelligence risk information in the supply chain environment and share that, um, standardize it across the entire acquisition community of the government. So um, we um, refer to that as our 6306 task force. We've already um, launched work um, with this um, with this. This, this venue. Um, and that is the mechanism by which we are going to have uh, move forward with, um, you know, fully coordinated um, uh, intelligence community position. The statute um, also required um, some elements that are not in the intelligence community to participate. GSA, uh, OMB, Office of Federal Procurement Policy, um, uh, uh, and uh, a couple of others that I don't, I don't remember right now, uh, but but that is a that is a mechanism that we're going to be able to use to drive the standardization of information sharing. There are other um, a couple of other um, areas where um, uh, action has been taken. Uh, Congress um, uh, passed a law and the secure tech uh, securing the telecommunications um, or. I'm securing the telecommunications um, uh, infrastructure. I'm not getting the title right, uh, but it's related to telecommunications and it directs the Department of Commerce uh, to stand up an information sharing group uh, to share um, information with um, the telecoms companies, particularly those that are the smaller ones that, that are, are providing services in underserved areas. And that, that's an effort that we are a key partner with the Department of Commerce in making that a reality. Um, I would also point to uh, the work. Um, I know you're familiar with um, the uh, 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 Information Communications Technology Supply Chain Management Task Force that was launched by uh, DHS Secretary Nielsen a couple of years ago. It's co-chaired by DHS, uh, by the um, uh, chair of the IT Sector Coordinating Council, and the uh, Comms Coordinating Council. So three chairs. One of the efforts over the past two years that, that um, we focused on as a, as a group was what, the, what are the legal impediments in information sharing? So um, I believe that DHS is going to publicly release the uh, year two report um, uh, in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, that'll include um, the identification of these legal impediments. So we have a roadmap now. Um, So I I, I look forward to really um, driving forward on some of those challenges to see what kind of progress, what kind of traction we can get in building um, uh, protections for um, uh, industry action, for protections for government sharing with the private sector, private sector sharing with government, or private sector sharing with private sector. So lots of work you know, coming down the pike in the next year.
1: I'll guess that one of those legal impediments may be the Privacy Act of 1974, when for some reason we didn't think of the internet back uh, almost 50 <laughs> years ago. Yes. Joyce, we're just about out of time before I let you go. I just wanna uh, ask about this idea you mentioned earlier about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and how that's being used. Is, this, is, is the use of these advanced technologies and, and combine that with the
0: need for resiliency—is that really where the future is heading? Yes, I think so. Um, a lot of organizations um, in in uh, uh some of the more well-resourced organizations are, are doing pilots. Lots of I know my colleagues in the Department of Defense are doing quite a few pilots or pathfinders as the um, term of art is today. Um, I, I've done in my organization a, cu- a couple of pilot activities as well, um, uh, trying to um, uh, tease out you know, the utility of, of doing using these different types of tools. So I do think that those, those will be sort of the game changer for um, making um, our risk decision making uh, more accessible to the Every man across across government
1: i know there's plenty more to talk about but unfortunately joyce we are out of time for today well thank you for having me so as i say let me thank my guest you got ahead of me let me thank my guest <laughs> joyce correll is the assistant director for the supply chain and cyber director in the national counterintelligence security center in the office of the director of national intelligence joyce always a pleasure to catch up thank you I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Modernizing Government, Supply Chain Risk and Security, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Tune in next month for the next episode in the Modern Government series. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG.
0: Thank you for listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Supply Chain Risk and Security, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network.